This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. And if you have modern or ultra-modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email joe at gregmorriscards.com directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 139 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, so I had a bit of a blast from the past this weekend. I was visiting my parents, and my mom said, We found some more of your card stuff in the office this week when we were cleaning the desk out. Well, I had taken all my card stuff years ago, so I didn't figure it was anything significant. And um, their first thing was a box of four or five base sets. Most of them were from 99, 2000. And then there was a little stack of miscellaneous papers. And the majority of these papers were part of a hobby ledger that I had created back around 2004, 2005. So I would have been in high school at this time. And I had a lot of stuff coming in the mail, albeit little stuff, and I needed a way to keep track of everything. And keep in mind, this was before the smartphone era. And I I don't know if this was normal at the time. I never really asked around, but um, I figure if other people did do it, they did it on the computer. But anyway, I had a written record of everything I was expecting in the mail, and whenever I received it, I would check it off. So... Here are some of the items that stood out to me as I was going through it again for the first time. Um, there were FLIR replacements, and this helps to date things a little bit because when FLIR announced their bankruptcy, they had a redemption program where you could turn in redemptions and still get uh, random relics and autos in return. It wasn't great, but it was better than nothing. Um, there was also a Larry Bird starting lineup from eBay that I had listed on there. I still have that on one of my office shelves, so I guess that was a good buy. I had an Xbox power cord. Um, How else was I going to help Master Chief finish the fight? I had a Reggie Miller auto. You can't go wrong with that. And I had a couple of Ron Artest cards numbered to 25 from eBay, and I'm pretty sure I still have both of those. Um, And then the list goes on. But um, on another one of these pages, I had written out a list of NPNs that I had sent out. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the acronym NPN, it stands for No Purchase Necessary. So, and they might, I'm sure, you know, maybe they still do this. I don't know. You could write your name and address on an index card and send it to an address they listed on packs of basketball cards or really any sports. And if you were lucky, you might get a card in return. And I think they distributed them according to pack odds. So if the odds for an insert... Uh, If they were 1 in 36, then in theory, one out of every 36 people that mailed an entry in would get one of those inserts for free. And this is something that card companies legally had to do because they listed odds on their product. And it had something to do with gambling laws. So uh, I sent a lot of these out in this time period. 
My success ratio wasn't all that great, but occasionally I got something nice back. I know I, I remember sending one to 2003-2004 Upper Deck, and I got a Dwayne Wade rookie, so that was cool. I remember getting a Derek Barton, which is baseball, a Derek Barton autograph from an Upper Deck prospect set, which was like a $40 card at the time, and that was a huge deal to me because it, it gave me something that had a little value that I could then in turn trade for something that I wanted more. And that was um, a hot commodity in those days. You know, my card budget was pretty minimal then. Um, I guess that's just a reminder for everyone. Find ways to work within your means and then go from there. So at the time, NPNs worked for me and it was something I enjoyed. Uh, And then as for this ledger, finally, there was one more section that I made for pending deals. And there was um, this had a column for people I was dealing with one for the item I was interested in, and then one for the platform I was using to communicate with them. And the last column was kind of funny because it was a combination of SCF, which was Sports Card Forum, uh, the Beckett boards, and then uh, wait for it. Yes, AOL Instant Messenger. That noise you just heard was crucial for making deals in the early to mid-2000s. So... All of this is to say, you know, whenever I think about my high school years, I refer to them as simpler times. I think we all do. I certainly had a lot less that I was responsible for then, but was it really simpler? I'm not sure. I mean, after all, I I was writing out a paper hobby ledger, but I guess there was some aspect of that that I enjoyed too. And here we are many years later. I enjoy doing this podcast thing too. I feel like I have another fun episode lined up for you today. I'm going to flip the script a little from my usual. I mentioned on last week's episode that I was expecting a handful of nice PC cards in the mail. Well, most of those came in, and I've got quite a bit to say about them. So I'm going to save that portion for the final segment. Make sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, There is one other thing that I want to talk about real quick, though. And those of you that have been with me since the beginning might remember an episode I did early on about a putative class action suit against Panini regarding their use of redemptions. That started all the way back in the spring of 2019 with a collector from Texas named Kevin Brashear. Among other things, he argued that the practice of using redemptions was fraudulent. And since Brashear was in the same state as Panini, they essentially tried to move this out of federal court said, no, this is not a federal issue. So in response, Brashear added a Florida man to his side named Christopher Kitchen. I think I said at the time, whenever you add a Florida man, um, you don't know what you're going to expect, right? And that's certainly the case here. Well, the whole thing went through the legal process. I'm not anything close to a legal expert, but the case interested me. So from time to time, I'd check the case monitor online to see if anything had happened. And the last update I saw said it was terminated back in May of 2020. So I just assumed, like many other things, that COVID played a role in that. Well, I later learned that one of the attorneys that had been working for Brashear had unexpectedly passed away. Um, And then there was about a year and a half of silence. Well, thanks to hobby litigation expert Paul Lesko on Twitter, we learned this week that the case is not, in fact, dead. And Panini's still taking actions to try and shrink this thing down a little in the likelihood that this class action case is actually certified. Um, I mentioned Paul Lesko. If you're not following him on Twitter, you need to pause this episode right now and do so. He is your guy when it comes to hobby litigation, all things, all legal things in the hobby. Um, He is your guy. So 
Uh, last Friday, Paul created a fantastic thread that summarized and broke down Panini's latest motion in this case, and it's pretty wild. Panini is going the lack of privity route, which claims that redemptions are not contracts. They're also saying that since collectors buy them from sports card shops or get them in group breaks, in other words, they aren't paying anything extra for them, um, they're not contracts. So because they're getting them you know, indirectly through a third party, they're not contracts. More or less, they're trying to make arguments that all redemptions are not contracts, which is funny because they've been fulfilling them for years without asking people where they got them and, and then without asking people for more money to actually redeem them. So that's kind of strange, right? I'm going to quote a couple of Paul's tweets here that give us a potential look into the future. He wrote, Now keep in mind, as of now, these are Panini's legal positions. And as callous and short-sighted as they are, the court can say, Nope, Panini, you lose on these issues. But the scary thing is, what if Panini wins? That'd be crazy, right? A class action lawsuit to get relief for owners of redemptions backfires and in doing so almost eliminates any pressure on manufacturers to ever fulfill redemptions again. End quote. So let's think about that real quick. Similar to the way that they used an upper deck court case in the earlier proceedings, this case could have implications for other manufacturers down the road, i.e. fanatics. I'm going to keep a close eye on Paul's Twitter feed as this thing carries on. I suggest you do the same, because who knows where it's going to go from here. All right, before I move into today's mail segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, Go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, on to the mail. Some of you might remember me talking about a pair of Probstein purchases from the past that left a sour taste in my mouth. I had an Aaron Holiday Optic Gold Rookie that had a huge thumbnail imprint on the surface, and then I had a Malcolm Brogdon Patch Auto that was shipped without a top loader. Since then, I've had several people ask me, why do you continue to buy cards from Probstein? Um, and it's a good question. I understand why people are asking it, because usually when you deal with someone and the experiences less than satisfactory, you cut ties and you move on. Well, seeing as Rick is one of the biggest consigners on eBay, actually I think he might be the biggest consigner on eBay, card consigner that is, um, from time to time he lists a card that I've been looking for and can't find elsewhere. And believe it or not, I've won a few auctions from him for way cheaper than I thought I would. I guess it turns out, you know, not a lot of Pacers stuff is worth shilling. Well, a card that fit that criteria popped up in the last week. It was a 2003-2004 Upper Deck Exquisite Noble Nameplates Patch Auto number 25 of 25 of Al Harrington in a BGS 8 slab. And this card is significant to me for a number of reasons. To begin with, the Pacers didn't have a first round pick in 2003, so they didn't have a lot of stuff in the inaugural Exquisite release. Jermaine O'Neal had a few cards. Reggie had some really expensive stuff that's 
out of my range. I haven't been able to pick up. And then Al was in this Noble Nameplate set. Um, so then the set itself is another reason I like this card. There are 30 cards in this set. It is horizontal in orientation and features a nameplate uh, patch piece. And this is surrounded by a really classy looking etched holofoil that's become more standard in 101 cards now. And then it has an autograph below that. And the autograph is positioned in a box to where it almost looks like a sticker, but it's not actually a sticker. It's on card. Um, over time, it's become pretty sought after because of guys like D. Wade, LeBron, Kobe, and Michael Jordan. And obviously, I'll never own any of those. So to be able to own a lower tier player from my favorite team is an opportunity that excites me. Now, the main reason I really wanted this card, though, is because it's the only patch auto from Al's first stint with the Pacers that has him pictured as a Pacer and features a piece from a Pacers jersey. For years, I've used a 2004-2005 card as a placeholder that had a Pacers piece but pictured him as a Hawk. So if I were able to purchase this card, I could finally check him off my imaginary Pacers patch checklist. I say imaginary because I've, I've tracked it in my head for over a decade, but I've never sat down and actually typed it out. So anyway, I bid. I won it for a decent price. It showed up and there were no issues, so it was actually a pleasant buying experience with Rick this time. Um, you know, deserves pointing that out. I'll talk about the bad ones. I can talk about the good ones too. Um, now, funny story. I went to take a picture of this thing and... You know what? I wouldn't be able to get good pictures or scans of BGS slabs if my life depended on it. I tried different angles. I tried different lighting. Something about the the uh, thick slab and the sleeve inside make it nearly impossible for me. So, you know, I did as all collectors do. I went and complained to my friends, one of them being Sholi, and he just sent me an emoji of scissors as expected. So he thinks I should crack this thing out. I haven't done that. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to do that, but um, so that left me trying to get a picture of this thing. I struggled for about 15 minutes before I finally got one that was decent, and I went with that. Well, after that, I went online to compare it to other copies out there, and the very first search result I found was a great picture of my exact copy in the same BGS-8 slab. It turns out it sold on Golden for $30 less some time ago, um, so it looks like somebody might have even taken a loss on this card, but um, either way, their loss is my gain. I've been waiting on one of these for years. You might remember Steve, a.k.a. Vintage Pacers, coming on the show. Well, he's had one for a while. Now I don't have to live vicariously through him. I have one, too. I posted that up on my Deadshots Cards account. I'll try to get that up on the Wax Museum handle as well. The next card I want to talk about is a Rick Smith's Jumbo Tag 1 of 1. How many times has anyone been able to say that? I know one other time, actually, because I lost one in the past. But um, this is a Rick Smith's Jumbo Tag 101 from 2021 Leaf Ultimate. I know I've talked a little bit about Leaf on here before. There are some things that they do that I really like. They have a lot of obscure basketball, Jumbo basketball patches, I should say, that you'd probably never see with Panini. And that's not a knock on Panini. It just doesn't make sense for them to have a lot of... Um, you know, Kenny Anderson Sonic stuff in their new products. But Leaf can pull that off. Um, the one thing that I'm not always a big fan of is the designs used in their products. For a lot of athletes, they just don't have rights to the or, or pictures of the athletes, so they'll just use basic jersey mock-ups instead. And sometimes those mock-ups don't even match the pieces in the cards. For example, they might have 
a Knicks Ewing jersey pictured, but the pieces are from a Sonics jersey. So in my opinion, the best case scenario with Leaf is when they have some sort of jumbo relic that takes up the entirety of the card, and they don't have to have any picture that they could mess up. And that's why I like a lot of the letter patch cards they've used in the past, and I'm always looking to pick up more. Um, anyway, they put out a sell sheet and a checklist for 2021 Leaf Ultimate. There was some really nice stuff pictured, including a Kobe Bryant Finals Trophy patch from a Jumbo 101 set called The Exceptional Ones. So I knew, based off that mock-up, that these cards didn't have pictures, and they just focused on the relic itself. I was elated then when I saw that Rick Smith was on the checklist. That was literally his only card in the product. So just a side note, if you're bidding on player spots on eBay and you see his spot, don't waste your money. That card's already been pulled. Um, Judging by the vertical orientation of the card and the fact that they've been using the same white Smith's jersey for at least three or four years now, I thought for sure they'd finally be packing out that logo man. It just made too much sense. So I set up a tab on my browser, and I updated my search for this thing pretty frequently. And I added it to my daily searches as well, but some of you guys might be able to relate to the fact that sometimes a saved search just isn't good enough. I suppose I'd rather subject myself to the anxiety of waiting for something to show up that, for all I know, might not. So I put it in some of my manual searches. Um, surprisingly though, it did show up and a lot sooner than I thought it would. Um, it also, you know, I mentioned all that earlier. It didn't trigger my saved search because the seller listed it as Rick Smith. And I found it because I would occasionally run a 2021 leaf ultimate search. So yes, I was that obsessive about it and for better or worse, it eventually paid off. Um, Now, it wasn't the logo man as I thought it would be, but it was a jumbo tag, which was still really cool. That's something we don't get from Panini anymore. Most of the jumbo veteran tags are chopped up into a bunch of pieces. Um, So anyway, there it was on eBay right in front of me. The price was way too high, and I had a little bit of back and forth with the seller, and we eventually came to a deal. I think he was selling it for somebody else. I think I probably overpaid for it, but there's no guarantee that a card like this is going to come up for auction Um, I have it in hand now and I'm happy with my purchase so you know is it really an overpay then Uh, I'm not sure I guess not okay Um, next you know I just talked about a leaf card Um, next card I want to talk about is an ugly leaf card that I got so I got two leaf cards in one week Um, this is an ugly card but it has an awesome relic in it it's a Tim Duncan patch numbered four out of six now Similar to the Smiths, this one is from 2021 Leaf Ultimate. The big difference from the Smiths, however, is that they didn't let the patch take over the design as much as they should have. I'm going to do my best to describe this thing, but words um, don't really do this thing justice. So if I forget to post this on my social media, let me know, because I won't be able to describe it as well as I'd like to. Okay, so the top portion of this card features a jersey mock-up for Tim Duncan. I've mentioned those already. I hate them. I understand they don't have licensing for photos of every player, um, so they they do this artist rendering of the back of the jersey thing. And uh, back in 2018, that rendering featured the player's name on it. Now they don't have that. I'm not sure if this is the result of a legal issue or what, but anyway, this card has the mock-up Tim Duncan jersey at the top. In addition to the mock-up, they used foil to put the word fat, F-A-T, fat. 
in big, bold letters right in the middle of the card. Um, because the set is called Fat Patch. So they added, they, they then took the word patch um, and they added it going down both sides of the patch window in foil. So you got the big word fat in the middle and then patch, patch. Um, all right. So now, as I alluded to earlier, though, it was the patch itself that attracted me to this card because this card has maybe two thirds of a Larry O'Brien NBA Finals trophy patch. And before I pulled the trigger on this one, I tried to do any quick research that I could. I recognized that it was part of the 2003 trophy because the trophy patches have changed some over the years, so you can generally figure out what series it was from based off the design. Then I went to Google to see if any of the major auction houses had sold a 2003 Duncan Finals jersey in the last couple years. And the other option might be opening night of the season that followed a title. Sometimes that happened. I know teams would use a finals patch for the ring ceremony or to commemorate the previous season one last time. So um, keep that in mind. Not every finals trophy patch you get in a card is is necessarily finals worn. So the only thing I could find online was a jersey from the 2003 Western Conference Finals that had been prepped as a backup for the finals. And that was sold through Gray, Gray Flannel in 2017. So I sent an email to Brian Gray, who's the CEO at Leaf. This was almost a week and a half ago. I haven't heard back. I'm assuming he was pretty busy with the Vegas show. Um, I reached out to another Leaf employee who said that they've had the patch for a long time and they'd been saving it. So I asked him if it was the gray flannel listing and he said he didn't remember where they got it, but he's pretty sure they'd had it longer than that. So um, at this point, I was undecided on if I wanted to add it to my collection or not. I was pretty confident that someone else would hit the bin if I didn't, so I went ahead and got it. I figure if I need to flip it for PC stuff down the road, it would be an easy moneymaker anyway, uh, but for the time being, I'll enjoy it for a little bit, and, and who knows what's going to happen with it from here on out. Okay, the final piece of mail that I want to talk about today is a completely different story. I know exactly where it came from. I know exactly what date it was used on, and this card comes from a Panini father's day set if you're newer to the hobby you might have seen some of these sets before or similar theme sets father's day there's black friday there was cyber monday you had national packs um these aren't your standard products that panini sells in boxes traditionally they've been packed out and distributed to card shops to help move older products or leftover products so if your shops ever had these they probably ran some sort of promo if you bought X amount of dollars of Panini products on a particular day or weekend, you'd earn so many packs. Things have been different the last couple years, so it seemed like no matter what they printed, it moved. So those promos aren't quite what they used to be. But there used to be some pretty cool stuff in these packs, including the card I picked up this week, which was a Kobe Bryant relic from 2012. And I've seen this card several times in the past and didn't think much of it. It's, It's just a single color purple relic. The card itself is a pretty plain design. There's nothing that sticks out about it from the surface. Well, several months ago I saw this card again and I got a chance to see the back of it. So just a, an FYI to all of the eBay sellers out there, show the back of your card. It doesn't take you too much longer to take another picture of the card and upload it. Show the back of your card, it could help. Um, so in seeing the back of this card, it turns out it wasn't just a regular jersey relic. It was a shoe card. 
And according to the Beckett blog, it was the first basketball shoe card Panini made, um, which means at the time it was the first one since 2004. And then on top of that, Panini had a picture of the exact pair of shoes on the back, and they provided a date of the game that Kobe wore them. So they were from March 25th, 2012. It was a game against the Grizzlies. And I was hoping he did something crazy in this game, like hit a game winner or score 50 points. Well, he only scored 18. But there was some drama on this night nonetheless. With a little under six minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Lakers trailed by 14. And the then coach, Mike Brown, decided to sub Kobe out. As you might imagine, Kobe was none too pleased. Now, I really don't think this was a bad decision. Um, Coach Brown was trying to keep Kobe's minutes at a reasonable level. He was going to bring him back in later. But there were a lot of people that thought Kobe should be left in. Um, They thought, you know, maybe he'll spark a run that would salvage the game. Anyway, here's a little bit of the dialogue that Kobe had in the locker room with reporters after the fact. Your body language down the stretch seemed to indicate that you were unhappy about being on the bench. Is that a fair assessment? Of course I was. Do you have any idea why? It's a very astute observation. <laughs> Can you speak on that? Speak on what? Uh, um, not really. No, necessarily have an idea why Mike made that no, nah, I mean, you know, it's, it's his decision to make. I mean, he makes a decision. He's the coach. And I'm not going to, if you guys are looking for a story, I'm not going to give you one. You know, it's, I can't sit here and you know, criticize his decisions. I mean, I'm not, you know, he's leading this ball club. That's something I can't afford to do. I got to have his back. I had his back the whole season. I can't start doing something crazy now. I made no sense. Now, previously I mentioned that I hoped he scored 50 points in these. You know what? Kobe did that 25 times in his career. But later in his career, how many times did Kobe get pulled like that from a game? So, you know, I thought that was kind of significant. I went on Getty Images and I found eight pictures from the game that feature these shoes. Unless he changed into the exact same model at halftime, it seems like a pretty safe assumption that he was wearing these when he stormed to the bench. So this card checks multiple boxes for me. It's got a Hall of Famer. It's a unique relic and it's game dated. And this stuff's getting harder and harder to find. I'm very happy to own this one. All right. Well, there you have it. That concludes my mail segment and also this episode for today. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed sharing. Maybe there was something I said today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. Until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.